Robert Browning once wrote, Motherhood, all love begins and ends there. And the poet R.H. Pete once wrote, Beauty is where the beheld butterfly disappears from sight. Well, my guest today on the program, she knows a lot about motherhood, and, it turns out, she knows a lot about butterflies. Who is it? Well, you're about to find out. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God'll cut you down. Sooner or later, God'll cut you down. my guest today on the program, Paula Cole. Let me tell you a little bit about Paula Cole. Well, there's a lot to be said about Paula Cole. The Massachusetts-born singer-songwriter is one of the most spellbindingly brilliant musicians around, and her career has been punctuated by innovation, style, and class. Paula tore out of the gate pretty early, moving from high school stage productions to studying at Berklee College of Music. After college, she toured as part of Peter Gabriel's band on his Secret World Tour. She signed a record deal in 94, and from there, her career shifted into overdrive. Before 2000, Cole had won a Grammy, had two massive hits with I Don't Want to Wait and Where Have All the Cowboys Gone, and she was a staple on the Lilith Fair Tour. Household name? Well, that's putting it mildly. Paula Cole was everywhere, but... By 1999, Cole decided that everywhere was too many places, and the one place she was needed most was at home, raising her daughter. A conscious hiatus was taken, and Cole returned almost 10 years later with her fourth album, Courage. Since then, she's been busy. Very busy. She started her own record label, 675 Records. She's toured across the world, and to date, she's put out 10 marvelous albums. Oh, and let's not forget, while tending to her family and her career, she's also been on the voice faculty at Berklee College of Music since 2013. Cole's new album, American Quilt, really lives up to its title. Her take on American classics creates a patchwork that adds up to a musical and historical narrative. From Black Mountain Blues to What a Wonderful World, Cole's reading of the American songbook is stirring, heartfelt, and utterly captivating from beginning to end. Now, Paula's been on the show before, and this conversation is so cool because it feels like we kind of picked up where we left off. She's one of the kindest and most thoughtful people 
I've ever spoken to. And by the way, that thing about the butterflies, you're going to find out what that's all about very soon. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Paula Cole right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I find your um, your Instagram posts very calming, and, and I was thinking about how. But has has it been a calm year for you? I mean, I, I love what you post, but I, I also wonder, like, how has it been emotionally for you in the last in the last year? Mm, that's so interesting for the feedback, and thank you for the honest feedback. I hope they're not boring. <laughs> God no, they're great. <laughs> I okay. love them. Um. <laughs> So I guess, you know, I have a wonderful home, right? You know, I, and I have a lot of dependence, I guess. I have adult children who are coming back and living with me through the pandemic. I have older folks that I'm taking care of. My sister and I both take care of them. They're nearby and going on 80 and need help. And so I find myself at this point in my life, you know, the sandwich generation. I'm the matriarch of this little community that is my family. And I, I have to hold it together. And I'm just fortunate to be in good health and have a job and means to get through all this craziness that we've been through. It's like, there is no room for a breakdown. (laughs) There is no room for drama. And I do have to be like the calm center. I, I just, that's my responsibility. And I, I also really genuinely love my fans because they're there for me. They, they've been there for me when I dropped away from the music business. They've been there for me during the pandemic. And I'm not talking about the fair weather fans with hits. I'm talking about y'all, you know, who would be <laughs> listening to this and who read those posts. I love you very much. Like it's, you give my life meaning and shape. And um, I can also be a part of myself that I can't be with my family. I can be the musician. And um, so I feel, I just feel really, really grateful. So maybe that makes me like kind of more spiritually centered when I'm posting, but I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware and I don't take it for granted. Don't take for granted that I have my community out there. Well, the posts feel very like you're being welcomed into your home, which is a very, which is a very intimate invitation. And it just, it just feels very um, warm in that, in that regard. So Alex, are you talking about the Sunday evening songs? Like more yes. specifically? Yeah. 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 <laughs> the Sunday evening songs, which I realized um, when the pandemic started, March of 2020, when it was really hitting. Remember the, how scary that was? Terrifying. And we were disinfecting our groceries and it was just mayhem. Um, I realized because I'm an introvert anyway, and I was 
pretty infrequent with my posting at that time that like I needed to step it up that I guess like that's I'm an Aries and I do well with adversity so I realized okay I need to be here for my community and I felt like kind of internally called upon to provide solace because I am fortunate because I do have a home and I'm in good health and I had a job and I'm you know I'm comfortable so I and I realized okay but I I can do it all myself I can just set up a little computer and my microphone and post live music not asking for money and providing some comfort through a very challenging time a time of uncertainty and let's have this moment together every Sunday so it became Sunday evening songs I thought about well what can I do I can't post every day I couldn't do that I have a family to take care of but I could do something live every every week and then not repeat myself and do it and you know be super committed to it so I've never missed a Sunday and it's been over a year and I feel like it's been a bonding experience through a traumatic time so I think it's created even more community and it makes me love my community even more it's nice to hear that it's it's as warm for you as it is for a fan yeah yeah I mean sure there are times where like oh shoot I have to travel and I have to figure this out and you know sometimes I might have been more inspired than other times but in general I felt it was a really healthy thing for me to have it there to show up, to show up and be present and be my singer songwriter self for you. So yeah, I, I needed it. I didn't realize I needed it. The matriarchal role that you were referring to earlier, um, is that, is that comfortable for you or does, does it sometimes feel like, God, this is a lot <laughs> or, is, oh. or is it? what a nice question to ask a mother but um you know it's both and they are they conflict and it always has it always has been difficult to walk the middle path between having personal relationships and even more specifically being a mother um, and maintaining a a career in the world of uh, you know especially a public career I mean when my daughter was really little she would say mommy stop singing because I would you know I would psychically go away when I'm singing and I would physically go away and she just wanted me to be her mom Mm. so of course it's very difficult to walk that Um, and I just needed to be her mom for some years and yes I definitely definitely get frustrated I think I read somewhere that like when Neil Young well, this was years ago before his divorce, probably, but um, I read somewhere, and I don't know if it's true, but I think it is that when, you know, dad or Neil would find inspiration, be writing, like nobody would disturb him. And do you think that happens here? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But aren't there, aren't there days where you walk by the vegetable garden and you go, oh my God, you guys need me too? Oh yeah. And that's why like my, my career is my vegetable garden this year. I'm not, I'm letting my vegetable garden, the real one out back, have a fallow season. I just need to take a break from being a gardener. I can't do it. 
And I've also kind of decided I'm going to prioritize the vegetable garden a little less, you know, because energies are limited and time is limited. So I'm going to prioritize the vegetable garden less. And when I'm home, I'm really going to try to prioritize the monarch butterflies more. It was such a, um, an awakening that last year, you know, September, October, even early November, we had the late migration of monarch butterflies coming through our backyard and actually their eggs I, I would collect their eggs from the milkweed plants and bring them in and kind of help them and uh, and, and they would reach their their chrysalis and they would become their imago adult selves and it was an epiphany it was so fantastic and I released eight mature monarchs and hopefully they made it you know or some of them did I, I really enjoyed that even more than the vegetable garden. So if I'm gonna be domestic, I'd probably like get into that more and plant more milkweed and try to convert more of my land to be more meadow. And um, of course, pesticide free, but wildflowers and milkweed because the insect world really needs our awareness. So yeah. I think I would put more priority on that. and and less on the toil of reaching down into the, the ground and weeding and all that. Um, I love it, but I, especially this year, need to put my energy into my music. So, and there's, there's expectation now for me to go out on the road and I've got a tour booked. So I'm gonna start up concerts again in August and then be fully on tour in the fall. Just out of curiosity, how are you with when someone is nurturing towards you and it's sort of, it's almost like when somebody is says, Hey, I'm, I'm going to make you breakfast, something like that. Are you, how are you with that? Cause it, what it does it for just for a moment, it takes you out of that sort of nurturing other people role and someone else is nurturing you. Cause I find, I find that I'm not as good as that as I am at taking care of things. Oh, so you're a nurturer too. Yeah. Cool. Well, nice to meet you. <laughs> I guess yeah. it takes one to know one, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> you see me. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. you're, like, you're underscoring something. You know, the nurturer. I hadn't, I don't think I've ever had an interview where someone's really highlighting that. So that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> It's, it's shocking and it's wonderful when someone takes care of me and I kind of sink into it like a dumb black lab who's just leaning into their owner as the owner gives them pats, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> I just want more pats, it feels so good. So um, yeah, I, I welcome that, you know, I welcome that, but it's, life is hard and everyone's busy and, and there's not a lot of time. So um, I feel like, kind of ridiculously fortunate that I found my purpose so early in life and I pursued it and, and you know my hit songs have allowed me to have more freedom financially and I, so I've always felt I guess some kind of duty I'm super duty bound like I'm the daughter of an eagle scout you know mm. my father was a renaissance man an eagle scout he was valedictorian for his bachelor and his master's at UConn he was a musician like such a renaissance man and like totally type a and the expectations were huge and they were tough on me so i had to be a good camper you know and i had to 
I just had a lot of expectation on me. And so I was a straight A student and I think I'm still, you know, grappling with my, <laughs> my inner child who had to be so, so good at everything. And like, it's sometimes you just can't be. And sometimes I feel like it's um, created a monster. Like I need to, I need to kind of relax from expectation, achievement and ego and uh, allow my soul's knowing to kind of make itself known on the day-to-day -day a little more and be a little more chilled out. So I feel like in midlife now, or I'm beyond midlife really, I need, I need to come into more harmony with that and lessen the duty, 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 duty. So that's gonna be hard. And like, how does your body feel? Our mind tricks us. How does your body feel about things? How does your heart feel about things and the courage to say no? And, and so that saves me. And I, and I want to be more in tune with that going forward. I guess that's what I, what I was getting at is that it's hard for the nurturer to relax. It really is. It is. Yeah, really, yeah. really is. Yeah, I mean, I, God, we're getting into it here. <laughs> we're in it, Paula. We are in it. in it. We're in the stew of you know the inner psychological process. <laughs> Paula Cole, thank you, Alex. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have my do list every day, and you know, for the first time in a long time, this weekend, I didn't have coffee, and I didn't have a do list. This weekend, I. Um, I meditated and it was hard and my hips killed me because I was sitting in easy pose and was trying not to just kind of go through the pain of my hips killing me sitting and meditating, but it was incredible. <laughs> it was incredible. And I had realizations and I was able to move forward with my life so much better. Yeah, because sometimes it's sort of like, okay, on my to-do list, I have to, the first thing I have to write is to make another to-do list. <laughs> it can get mad. <laughs> <laughs> or you're in your phone and you don't even know why, you know, you're just toggling between the apps and then your screen time at the end of a week is just egregious. Yeah. And you realize like that you didn't get so much accomplished. You were just exposing yourself to blue light and you know brain waves that are damaging so uh yeah, yeah like i i noticed that when i put my phone down so long over the weekend and i came back to it i was just so much more effective with the emails and so much more effective because i had that super conscious of stepping away and an eagle's perspective of ascent like being above your life and seeing what's important and then going into it dealing with it and moving on so yeah i i'm how do you live authentically with so much screen time right and not get sucked into your ego and it's hard i i need to be more present on my socials and i am more present than i ever have been and i'm embracing the the new responsibility as an artist you need to be a social media presence and post about yourself, which is really, really hard to do. Um, I think it would be even harder if I were younger, at least now, you know, I'm in my early fifties. 
I have more to talk about at least, but I, I find it really hard. Like just, uh, what do I post about? I want to be thoughtful about that. And it feels very ego driven. Yeah, and, and and it is, and and we're we're of the same vintage. I had a I just had a birthday two days ago, and I I find that that you know getting older is actually really calming. I find it mm. I'm actually totally okay with it. Um, but you're right because I think that the you also have to draw a line into how much you want to expose of your life, and it's sort of like you know where does the artist end and the person or the civilian begin and, and you and I are both academics. I mean, I, I teach college, you teach college and there's also the relationship you have with your students. Um, how did that go over the year uh, in, in you know, the compromised interesting year we had? How did it affect the relationships that you have with your students? I love your questions. They're so different from what I'm normally talking about and um, so I'm fortunate, I'm a visiting scholar at Berkeley College of Music and I was a professor there for seven years and I've moved into this new role of visiting scholar to allow my touring and allow me to kind of spread my wings now that the kids are grown um, to be more involved in my career, even more so with more touring, more focus. And um, like most universities, I was on online and I found that Apart from the inability to, uh, for my students to perform live with a rhythm section in the room, you know, a band with, in the room, and that was unfortunate. But apart from that, I really, really, really enjoyed the connection I had looking right into the faces of my students. You know, normally I'm not a foot away from their face. Right. And, and so everything from singing and being able to help them with certain aspects of the voice to that intimacy, being face to face was profound and also it allowed me to put myself on mute and to put um I would have my computer at the, at the piano so if they were showing a new song to me I'd be able to uh, you know be on mute and play along with their song so I could really mind melt with their songs more and be inside the chord changes and figure out their chord changes quickly uh so it allowed me much much more rapid understanding of their songs. So there was a lot that I really liked about it. Um, and it definitely um, improved our tech skills. A lot of us were getting more proficient with logic um, and our socials. So I think it brought gifts and my connection with my students was beautiful. I just look at it how can I serve? How can I be an advocate? I want to advocate. So um, I try to get to know them as best I can. And it's, it is quite parental and again, loving and nurturing. And we like that. It's gone really well that way. And I'm so proud of them, watching them go out into the world and doing really well with their with their songs and I, i'm just so proud of them. one of them is now um on she's just getting more and more known her name is hadley uh kennery k-e-n-n-a-r-y and she's uh in nashville and getting more and more seen and on spotify playlists and on tour sam robbins is winning contests and 
um, Alexandra Grace just won something in the, the John Lennon songwriting contest. So wow. I feel I feel really honored to be part of their path and to see them flourish and fly like that. And they teach me, you know, it's so nice to not know and learn from them sometimes. And I really do learn from them. It's interesting though, because I, I, my first few months doing it, I was really bad at it. And I realized that my problem was I felt, I felt weird opening up, not opening up my home to be seen, but being looked at in a totally different way. Um, and that, that took me a beat because it was sort of like, I became very aware of if I had a bottle of water, like they would think, oh, that's the water he drinks and there's the cat. And then he has, what is that picture behind him? And, uh, you know, is that dust? You know, I just felt very, <laughs> <laughs> I felt a little bit judged and, and I realized it was all coming from me. Um, but I was aware of being, of being received in a way that I, you know, I taught for 25 years and suddenly I became very self-conscious of what was in my private life. And Mm. Um, the piano is a great, is a great shield from, you know, quotidian living. Um, that's mm. a, that's a great one. Um, but it took me a couple of months and then I got, then I got good at it. I got better at it. I think I got more comfortable, but mm. being looked at in, in a different kind of way threw me off. And, I, and then it surprised me that it threw me off. And then I wanted to have an inquiry into myself into why it threw me off. And so it took me a second to get good at it. So did you have an insight as to why it threw you off? Yeah, I think it felt the intimacy. I think in a classroom, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a character. I feel like I'm playing a part, like the professor part of me. And I think that the, the home part of me, which is like my civilian self, um, I couldn't separate it. It was hard for me to, how do I be that character in my home when I'm normally not that character in my home? Um, wow. So that was weird for me. You know, I bet, yeah, I don't know, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that your teaching was even more beautiful because of that vulnerability, because of that exposure that made you feel so vulnerable. And, and when we're vulnerable or when we say we don't know or if we're curious or if we're only a week ahead in the curriculum learning ourselves, like, because we want change and we don't want to be so rote, mm. if we're willing to make mistakes, I think the teaching is fantastic. And Rich, I bet, I bet you were great, Alex, precisely because you were feeling vulnerable. I, I think that's great. Yeah, and it, thank you for saying that. And it, and it also, it also felt good to say, okay, I need to be more aware so I can connect. You know, because connection with my students has always been easy for me in person, and suddenly it wasn't easy. And I thought, all right, well then you need to figure out how to make this work. And I came up with some strategies and, and they worked and it was great. But for the first few months, I was sort of like, I spent last summer trying to figure out like, okay, how do I, how do I enter this in a different way? Cause we all got thrown into it obviously. Um, and, and it did work out better. And I had, my relationships became very authentic and they felt really good, um, but they, and they were hard fought. So it, it, it made it even better. Um, I, I spoke to Bonnie Hayes a couple months ago and she was great. And she, and she, she's so in tune with what's happening with music now. I mean, she was almost mathematically, she has an understanding of the, of the 
formula that's being used. And I, and I, I love what you did where you sort of went the other way, where you sort of went to the past for this record. And did anything reveal itself to you about this music that hadn't revealed itself to you before? Mm. See, I'm ponderous and I'd have to kind of meditate on that to I feel answer it better. So what's coming up for me? This music, what came up for me? I guess um, what's surprising to me is the reaction because I wasn't so aware of what's out there. That's um, so monumental to try to be aware of everything out there, especially when you're trying to create. It's almost as if you need to shut down the noise and be connected to something cosmic to create. So I was doing it for personal reasons, connecting to the past. I was doing it to honor the masters whom I love so much, you know, from Louis Armstrong to Emmylou Harris and Bessie Smith, to honoring my parents, my, my father, a professional musician and who taught me that music was genreless, without classification, self-made, joyful. And my mother, a visual artist and a quilter and putting it all together, it somehow became a concept album with the quilt. And it was very intuitive and internal. I didn't know how the world would react to it, but one thing that I found is that people are calling it an Americana album. And I find that so interesting because again, I've been like this myth, misfit, I don't fit anywhere. I, I'm influenced by a lot of different music. And uh, so I've been kind of a loner, not necessarily easily categorized category I can't say the word Categor <laughs> 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 to be categorized <laughs> and so I'm finding myself like on Roots Radio and Americana embracing this album and then I'm learning that Americana is opening it's busting open with people of color artists of color you know, queer artists of color. And so I guess it like makes sense that they would embrace me at the same time that they're embracing the others, right? That so, and I'm so pleased, I'm so pleased to see Americana be diverse. And I finally feel like there's some kind of musical home. Um, so that's been astonishing. And I'm just knocked out by what Americana is. It's difficult to explain. Um, but within it, like you have, oh, what are they called? I see now I'm, I'm drawing blanks, but you can have Bonnie Raitt and then you can have um, Amethyst Kia and you can have, um, Oh, Alison Russell, and you can have Jason Isbell. You know, it's like really diverse. It's cool. Uh, so I'm just, th that was 
something new for me. The songs um, themselves, I'm just so happy that I followed my intuition. And, and right before the pandemic hit, I went into the studio to record kind of arguably what would be some of the most important tracks on the album, like Wayfaring Stranger and Black Mountain Blues and Shenandoah. And I'm, I guess there was some epiphany in that too, returning to the roots, the real folky root side of what my dad taught me, some of the albums I listened to growing up. Um, and also like calling upon my inner arranger, making a, an operatic arrangement for Shenandoah. Yeah. I was possessed by that song. I literally would wake up with my mind on fire and come down to the piano and like write out a couple more pages of music. And it just kept going and ended up being about eight minutes. I don't know, it's over seven minutes long. So just, it was very intuitive. I guess that's how music works for me. It's very much like a connection to something indescribable. You can call it the mystery, the divine, whatever. But I feel like when it's good, it's connected to that.
for yourself as being sort of a, a misfit in the sense that people couldn't couldn't place you certain places you couldn't be categorized or or um you know genre um did you like that or and do you like that role and, and was that a comfortable place to know that you could almost be so fluid it's been frustrating at times just because you know it's like I had my first career with the hits and it and everything happened very fast and and it was tremendous and also uh, very challenging for this introvert. And, and then I went away for a while and it's like time stood still and people just knew me for the hits and, uh, and I would end up kind of being on algorithms and playlists of just, uh, you know, white women my age. And it, to me, like, again, genre and algorithms and classifying music often ends up being about ace, sorry, race, age, and gender. And that's totally wrong. That's, that's about demographics and monetizing demographics. That's for the, the corporations. That's not about the music itself. Um, so I have found it very frustrating to always be kind of thrown into, I don't know, like a Lilith bin from the 90s or something when I'm, I'm much more than that. And always have been, and, and my core fans know that, but um, so it's been frustrating, but I kind of just accepted and let go and also talked about it to, to help people be aware of how classification happens in music and that it's a negative. I mean, that's what happened you know, in, in the 50s with Elvis, like they created a new classification called rock and roll. And it really was R&B. It was coming out of Ruth Brown and all these amazing Memphis musicians of color. And they wanted to delineate Elvis because he was white. So they called it rock and roll. And this is 
how it happens. You start creating classifications. Now it helps people find the music sometimes, but I never fit in. I'm just like all over the place. But I realized like, okay, I'm just gonna let it roll. I'll educate, I'll talk about it. But in the end, I realized it's probably good that I'm a misfit because I'm just Paula Cole. I'm not in any grouping and that's good because I, I believe I believe in the long run of my career. I'm, I'm thinking about it as building catalog, building a legacy and being kind of a, a badass grandma and, <laughs> and being satisfied on my deathbed with the work I've done. So I imagine that and I imagine the long, slow path of the tortoise and being that. And that's what my second career is about, you know, post hiatus. I'm building something long and hopefully beautiful. I'm aiming for that. I wanna just make the best work I can make and I'll just be me. And I wanna talk a little bit about the introversion because you know we're seeing in the news that the tennis player Naomi Osaka who pulled out of the tennis tournament because she, you know, she's so introverted that talking to the press after a match is causing her massive anxiety. And it's, and you can see it on her face. I mean, it really is heartbreaking how, just how introverted she is. And we, and we say introvert and people go, oh, it just means you're quiet. And it's like, well, it's more than that. And, you know, you're in a, in a career, which has always been, which is performative and giving. And like I, I told you last time when I saw you in, in 94, I just was knocked out by your performance. And I remember thinking she gave us so much. It was so much to give. It was so beautiful and moving and powerful. Um, but it must take a lot out of you to, to give being an introvert and being in a career which is based on, on performance. Um, can you talk a little bit about, and, and by the way, every musician I talk to they're all introverts none of them say oh I'm an extrovert <laughs> no one has ever said that <laughs> maybe is... you prefer the introverts work you know <laughs> <laughs> it just it's so funny how like you would think like an introvert would be a librarian that would make perfect sense um but to be in in the spotlight which is so contradictory to what is comfortable um can you talk a little bit about that balance and how how you sort of communicate with yourself about yourself in that regard. Mm. Well, how do you energize and reboot and restore and fortify? Do you, do you receive that restoration and nourishment by being alone and having alone time, solitude? Or do you receive that energy by being with people? And for me, I do it by being alone clearly and when I take the Myers-Briggs tests I am strong introvert very high testing introvert and I feel that often introverts have profound things to say they have rich deep things to give and share to the world but we have to be careful and take care of ourselves to to nourish ourselves and stay protected and so that's for example why one of the reasons why I took my hiatus. And that's why Naomi Osaka declined doing those press conferences. She's taking care of herself. And I was proud of her for that and dismayed by, uh, you know, tennis's reaction and 
<clears throat> again, it's about money, right? Because the those sponsors are paying for the award money and establishing those uh, tournaments, but and then so they expect these press conferences. They expect that as kind of quid pro quo. But I I applaud Naomi Osaka's self advocacy and self protection. And oh, I, I felt her torment in that, oh my God, that slam with uh, Serena in New York. Ugh. That was just brutal, watching yeah. her cry underneath her towel and her visor. And I, I, I just felt for her. I know how that feels. And um, I was proud of her because she's now finding herself to be a superstar in a world arena. And she's gonna have to negotiate that. She's going to have to set her terms and her boundaries so she can have a long, good life. And we want her to have a long, good life. Anyway, I'm going on a bit about uh, Naomi Osaka and introversion. And some people, they are nourished by being with people. And we need both in society. We just need both. We, we need our diverse patchwork of all that we are. That's kind of one of my themes in the album too, like the American Quilt, the new album. That's like, we are diverse. We are complicated. We are sad. Our history is sad. We are polarized in this country. We're hateful in this country. We have a horrific past of slavery that we have, must atone for. We must talk about. Uh, so, it's so complicated. But the thing is, is that that's the beauty, that's the beauty is, is the diversity. We are a human family, right? And as the world gets smaller, we're going to have to find coping to have dialogue and have a relationship with one another. And man, less guns. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yes, my God. Yeah. We, you know, it's, it's hard to be a person. It's a, you know, we're fragile people, even the extroverts. And I, I think that, you know, you also recognized early on in your career that you needed to protect yourself as well, just like Naomi. I mean, Naomi's only 24. And I think you realized pretty early on as well that, that you needed to sort of um, look after yourself because the industry, this is a brutal industry. And, um, you know, and I look at people and I, and I really, I worry, you know, I worry about people. I worry about Justin Bieber. I worry, I mean, he seems okay. And, um, but I don't know. I don't really know. I worry about a lot of those folks. And you, you mentioned a lot of young um, singer songwriters who are doing, who are doing so great. Do you talk to them about being protective as well as um, being artistic? Because that, that seems like there should be, there should be like a separate class for over a course of a semester that just talks about here's how you protect yourself absolutely absolutely I am so big on that I'm I go in there uh, very willing to expose my mistakes and some of the difficult things I've experienced in the business to prepare them because I care about them and I want them to be successful on their paths and I also require them to take you know, just um, a simplified online Myers-Briggs exam so that they know where, where they score for extroversion or introversion. And I discuss this. I discuss protecting your introvert or your extrovert, protecting that. 
knowing thyself, you know, so that you can be an artist. And being an artist is complicated. You have to have like a whole solar system of skill sets in order to be a successful artist in the world. You know, you need entrepreneurship, you need talent for the writing, you need tech skill, you need social emotional intelligence because you have to be a band leader. You hire and you fire and you should do that yourself and so on and so forth. You are like the sun of a solar system and these planets, all these skill sets and people revolve around you. And it calls upon an artist to be so many things and to be good at so many things. It's a bit maddening, like it's just never ending and you're juggling constantly. So that's why also you need to take time away. And I tell them all the time, like your primary relationship in your life is the most important thing. It is, you know, we're talking about our music careers, but just so you know, like who you choose to love is the most important thing in your lifetime because, uh, you know, no Grammy is going to keep you company when you're an old person it's your personal life it's your social emotional intelligence that is the highest indicator for your success in all realms in your career because talent is wickedly overrated and most importantly your personal life and yes guard that personal life and I talk about this a lot and I if I have um, women in the class which even though Berkeley is very high uh, ratio male to female um I often have women in my class. So I usually feel the need to touch upon the concept of motherhood because it's something we don't discuss, but it's almost like you, ha you have to be a little omniscient about it. Like a little bit of, again, the Eagle's perspective of looking down at your life. When are you going to have children if you feel the calling? So um, that's so difficult to fit into a music career. Woo. And there have been so few mentors for me personally that women who were able to have it all, I even wrote about it in a song, like a long career. And, you know, I think if you're straight, like a man and happy family, um, it's, it's just, it's Herculean. It's like climbing Mount Everest. It's so hard. And there are times when you just need to make decisions like, okay, I guess I'm not going to have uh, more success because I'm prioritizing my personal life right now. And it's, it's usually small things, but small things become big things. It's hard. The balance is the hardest thing. It's like the middle road is very Buddhist, right? It's like, how do you walk that? Wow, it's, um, I think it's, the, you know, it doesn't have to be the, the music business even per se for all of us, especially if you're self-employed or if you're entrepreneurial. I've seen businessmen in tech creating companies losing their marriages, right? It's, it's just so hard. How do you find that middle path? And I think meditation helps. Um, and listening to that small, quiet voice that is sometimes it's very unpopular in the room, like you are the only one feeling differently from everyone else. And there's a ton of peer pressure. Listening to that, listening to your body, but you have to protect yourself so that you can have a whole rich life, a long life. The mistakes that you said that you made, were those due to a lack of mentorship, do you think? Or those are just mistakes we make because we're, we're human? Oh yeah, both. 
Um, I mean, I could have had stronger management, I think. Um, and I love, love my first manager and he died and I miss him every day. But uh, he got very distracted right when my star was ascending quickly. And um, just it, my career was a bit of a mess at that time when I needed him most. And, um, you know, the hits were very overexposed and there was too much focus on radio and I think there should have been more focus on my live performance so people really understood what I was who I was my live performance that is the real indicator of an artist so yeah you know oh I rude I have rude and, and I have archives of regrets sure uh but you know you have to let it go like I wouldn't if I didn't have those regrets or the quick ascendancy and the, the hits, then, well, I wouldn't have been able to take the time off to raise my daughter and the hits financed me through that hiatus. Thank God. So, you know, you, you always pay the piper somewhere. Yeah. And I, but I talk about it so that they understand, they understand. And it's really hard to come back and try to get noticed the second time around people don't want to give a second chance and here i i feel like seabiscuit sometimes like the old horse running around the racetrack you know <laughs> but it's like i am who i am and it because i am frustrated i'm so frustrated to not be seen all these years for for who i am really the artist inside well that fuels me and gives me fire in my belly so I am creating a longer legacy of content and catalog than perhaps some people who, who were acclaimed and had great success and maybe they feel they can rest now. Whereas I don't feel like I, I can rest. I have so much work to do and all this mess of my first career to sort out. Yeah, and those, it's weird. It's almost like they had, there are two different entities that are sort of floating around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pre-post internet. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's mm -hmm. right. And when you, when you stepped away, was that, did you wrestle with yourself about it while you were away or did you feel peaceful? Oh, I mean, I was wrestling with so many things, you know, that's, I think that I wrestle internally a lot in my life and I'm, and I'm seeking peace from that inner turmoil. And that's why I turned to music. Like it is, therapy it is self-healing the music helps me heal and and it gives me purpose and then I find it helps others so yeah oh yeah I have internal struggle about so many things and I'd say uh that quote uh, hiatus was actually some of the hardest time in my life you know I was in a horrific marriage and a custody battle I needed to be in court for two years I couldn't work so um like every concert I would perform would go against me in the court as I was seeking custody of my daughter. So it, it was, it was so hard. It was so hard. And I missed music terribly. Oh, I missed it. And, and I had great epiphanies that I realized, well, I've been given this gift and I must use it or else it becomes like an evil puppet head within. And uh, it helps me know myself and give me strength and backbone 
but it has to be balanced too. Like I can't just be egotistical and in the world all the time. I need to, to balance and nourish the introvert and, and take care of my family, take care of myself. It's almost impossible to find the balance, but yeah. that's what I'm seeking. <laughs> it's hard. How does the how does the introvert feel about going back out there into the to the big world? <laughs> um, how does that feel to to feel like there will be performance, there will be people there when you perform? How is mm-hmm. that landing emotionally for you? Oh, um... Yeah, well, I, I have tour dates and admittedly I have more nervousness about them than I, I have felt in a long time. Like I lived in LA for some years when I had my daughter and I would run into Joni Mitchell at an outdoor uh, deli where she could smoke and, and we would talk sometimes. And, and she said it, she said, the longer you're away from performing live, the more difficult it becomes to go back. It's like you get more nervous. And so I, I definitely feel nervous um but i feel determined to confront my fear i think that's the only way through and i'll just try to take care of myself and i hope i hope people come to the shows and um i'm with my musicians who i've been with my my whole career and i love them so much and the music we make i'm not ashamed to say is really beautiful and so, and it helps me, gives me something that's inexplicable. And so I just want to share that. Um, it's complicated and, and I'm about to face it and, and I'm going to face it with all the joy in my heart. That's all I can say. I want to just give it so much joy and strength and courage. Yes. Well, I'm I'm no soothsayer, but I can tell you I, I I'm almost a hundred and ten percent sure people will be there. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a worry, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> they will be there. Um, from a from a, a health perspective, then you have people who depend on you and um, and need you to be healthy. When you think about your own health, in um, in, in, a, in a setting like that, where you're playing live, you're with pe- people for the first time, is there anxiety on that level? Or do you feel fairly content about that now? My own health, you mean? Well, just the idea of being in a room with a bunch of people that you don't know, um, you know, in that sort of um, capacity, that's a whole new thing to think about that never had to be thought about before. Mm. Um, oh, you know, I see, I see I the pandemic right. and virus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone should know I'm fully vaccinated. I've been super careful and I'll probably test before I go out because I'll be the super spreader, right? I'll be the singer. <laughs> super <laughs> spreading. But I'm I'm so careful. I'm so beyond careful because I have to take care of old folks. Right. Um, so I want everyone to know how responsible I feel, how much duty I feel to be healthy for you. But I don't, I don't feel too scared about that honestly um and i know that once i walk out on stage like once you get over the first little you know nerves and pitter pat of the heart that i'm just i'm in the fluidity of the music itself and it's like ecstasy it's like going on a massive acid trip right (laughs) it's like just beautiful 
in your veins, liquidity, transcendence music. And you're just divining and you're feeling the music and you put it out there like beyond the back of the venue and you're circulating those vibes to the audience and they are genuinely, you know, feeling it. And then you feel their response and it becomes like tactile and circular and beautiful, almost like this other energy. I'm, I'm getting really out there metaphysically, but it does become something else. The music from the band and the, the response of the crowd, it becomes something mutual and other that's indefinable. Just, it's so beautiful. I think like once you tap, I tap into that, fine, fine, fine. It, the thing that's hard is like the other uh, 22 hours of the day <laughs> is the, <laughs> the schlepping on a plane ride and you know you're in you're getting a rental car and you're schlepping around you're moving your body city to city so you can show up and sing and show up and make music it's those other 22 hours but the two you know 90 minutes two hours two and a half hours whatever it's going to be that's beautiful it's worth it are you curating your schedule so it's so it's so it's easier on you? You know, because the temptation is to cram a bunch of dates in. Um, are you trying to be very careful and mindful about how you do that? No, you know, if I were the Stones or like Alison Krauss and just and I could have the most luxurious tour bus and. I could afford to just play three in a row and then have three days off. <laughs> then, then I could do that. But no, I don't have that luxury right now because I'm still rebuilding my career. And this is one of my primary frustrations. And that's what I, I really wish people would see me like for, for the live artist I am so that I, touring life could be more comfortable on me, you know. Otherwise, honestly, I don't know how much longer I could do it it has to get more comfortable or it's not going to continue. It's just one of the things I've promised to myself. So um, no, I'm still doing five shows in a row. Wow. And I'm still going to be in minivans and long drives and I'm still playing, you know, intimate theaters and, and that's great for the fans and it's really hard on me. So that's, and I have to show up with all my strength and my joy and my courage and my health but like how much longer can that last not much longer i'll be honest with you you know so um so either it's going to change it's going to change one one way or the other i know that i'm still capable of it and i will be praying for my health and strength every day and showing up and being as badass and full of fire and joy and love as i can be like i just want to give more than i get you know but i need to get some need to get some so I can stay in the game. And does the matriarch in you while you're touring think about like, well, who's taking care of the butterfly eggs back at home? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they won't be, there'll probably be less butterflies, but my, my beautiful partner, you know, David will be taking care of those butterflies, I guess. Yeah, and taking care of me when I come home like scrambled eggs at the end of a tour. Uh, you know, I definitely I have some nerves about it. Definitely, and it's been it's been a while. So my callus of touring is off. And I toured behind the Revolution album and I cried a lot on those tours. Like, I don't know why, maybe it's because I'm older or um, 
it's just harder to leave home. I love home. I'm very domestic. Um, I hope that the touring ex expands and is easier on me. I really hope that. And I really hope to get back to Europe and the UK and to some of my fans worldwide who've been waiting patiently a very long time. I want people to know the artist, not just the hits, you know? Well, I hope you make it back to the Bay Area. Um, and I have to tell you, you are an endless joy to talk to. I, I always enjoy speaking with you. And I, I just, I love our conversations. I love this conversation. I think you're so fabulous. And thank you for the beautiful questions. Thank you for being a nurturer and an educator. You know, that makes me feel hopeful about the world when I meet, when I meet my brothers and my sisters like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's very sweet of you. <laughs> and thank you for being you. Oh, all right, Alex Green. I hope to see you at a Bay Area concert. Big uh, love. Yes, and be safe and uh, I will see you soon. Okay, take care. Thank you, Paul. God, I love Paula Cole. She's the greatest. Uh, her new album, American Quilt, is just a stunner. Why don't you have it? Or you do? Or you don't? Get it. Go get it. If you already have it, get another one. Get one for a friend. Uh, it's, uh, it's absolutely brilliant, brilliant work uh, from one of our most important artists. And uh, let's support her. PaulaCole.com is where you need to go to uh, get all that support. Going her way, alexgreenonline.com uh, is where you need to go to, to support me. Uh, I'm not one of our most important artists. I'm just a guy who does a radio show and writes books every now and then. But I could use your support, too, and I'm grateful to have it. You can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. You can also email me, editor, at stereoembersmagazine.com. Who do you want on the show? Who should come back to the show? Uh, a lot of you wanted Paula back, and here she is. We did it. Uh, and we'll bring her back again. You can find Stereo Embers, the podcast, on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use. Subscribe. Uh, tell all your friends. Have them tell all their friends. And uh, don't forget, Bombshell Radio can be found at bombshellradio.com. So go there and uh, find out what makes our radio station tick. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Paula Cole's rendition of God's Gonna Cut You Down. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. You can run on for a long time, run on.